Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Friday, October 21st, 2022. Happy Friday, everyone. And since it's Friday, I thought we'd go ahead and kick things off with a On This Day in History. So, on this day in history, October 21st, 1918, in order to secure a World War I armistice, Germany agrees to further concessions. And then in October 21st, 1921, Germany and allies come together to an agreement over reparation payments in a meeting at Weizenbaden, and I'm, I think I pronounced that right. Uh, and as you guys have heard me in past news briefs, uh, Poland thinks they deserve more nowadays. We'll see. 1924, October 21st, first Negro League World Series. The Kansas City Monarchs shut out Hillsdale's 5 to nothing. 1930, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes premieres on NBC Radio. 1934, MLB All-Star Team, led by Connie Mack and including Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox, and Lou Gehrig, sails to Japan for an 18-game series against Big Six University League. 1944, U.S. forces under General Douglas MacArthur return to the Philippines with the landing of the U.S. Sixth Army on late. There's even a statue of MacArthur and his troops commemorating MacArthur keeping that promise of a U.S. return to the Philippines. On 1954, October 21st, Lee, Charlip, Stein, Comden, and Green's musical Peter Pan, starring Mary Martin and Cyril Richard, opens at Winter Garden Theater, New York City, and runs for 152 performances. 1955, a historic publication of The Return of the King, the third and final volume of The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, by George Allen and Unwin in London. 1963, Jim Brown sets NFL single-season rushing record at 1,863 yards. It's since then been defeated, or replaced, rather, as uh, we I think we've had a... Two- like a 2,000-yard rusher by this point in time. 1973, Queen Elizabeth II opens the Sydney Opera House, the world-famous opera house with its unique design and whatnot in Sydney. And finally, let's head forth to 2019. First New York... First New York to Sydney, hey, speaking of Sydney, nonstop test flight by a commercial airline achieved by a Qantas... Qantas Boeing 787 Dreamliner. That flight took 19 hours and 42 minutes. And that was on this day in history for October 21st. The more you know. Before we get to the news, is your smartphone a tool in the service of Christ or a minefield of distractions and temptations? With soul-killing seductions just a few taps away, our families and churches must embrace biblical accountability on our digital devices. Accountable to You makes transparency easy on all your family's devices by sharing app usage and detailed browsing history, including incognito mode with your spouse, parent, or chosen accountability partner. Accountable to You helps your family to proactively guard against temptation so you can live with integrity to God's glory. Learn more and try it free at accountable to youcom slash FLF. That's accountable, the number two, you.com slash FLF.
Hunter Biden's laptop returning to the news, documents at least 459 legal violations, according to a watchdog group. A year-long exploration of Hunter Biden's laptop has yielded a 630-page report that its authors say document 459 violations of state and federal laws and regulations by President Joe Biden's son and his business partners. Marco Polo, a nonprofit formed by a one-time aide to former President Trump, to enable a team to take a deep dive into the laptop of that the crack-addled Biden left at a Delaware repair store. Claims the report is a roadmap for local, state, or federal prosecutors to pursue charges. The group also sent its report to each member of Congress. The timing of the report's release coming two weeks before the midterm elections has a certain symmetry to the laptop's initial introduction to the public. In 2020, days before the election, the New York Post published news of the laptop's existence as well as bombshells from it, but the social media suppressed the story after the FBI had warned companies of so-called misinformation. This time around, the timing is similar, but other factors are reversed. Legacy outlets have acknowledged that the laptop files are authentic. Twitter founder Jack Dorsey admitted that censoring the laptop was a mistake, and the social media platform is being sold to free speech advocate Elon Musk. The report, which reviewed the laptop's emails, videos, calendar items, photographs, phone records, financial documents, and more, but also provided context and explanation, serves as a Rosetta Stone of white and blue-collar crime under the patina of the Delaware Way, the report says. We were able to eliminate previously convoluted network webs of the people leading the charge for global governance, cutting through shell companies and middlemen. Crimes Hunter Biden allegedly committed include serving as an agent for foreign entities without disclosing it, tax fraud, and falsifying business documents. The alleged crimes also include prostitution, non-consensual pornography, and distribution of narcotics. Elsewhere, voters agree the GOP to take House and Senate. I wonder if these reports of the laptop have anything to do with it. Weeks of reporting that the Republicans are poised to take control of the House and maybe the Senate have sunk with voters who now mostly agree that the November election should show Democrats the door. In the latest Rasmussen Reports survey... Just shared with secrets, likely voters expect the Republicans to win control of the House. And it's not even close, with 67% agreeing to 17% who don't. Even 56% of Democrats expect their party to lose control of the House. As for the Senate, it's closer, with 58% likely voters believing it's likely the Republicans will edge out the Democrats. Just 25% don't agree. Among Democrats, it's split even. 42% agree and 42% don't. Much of the media have recently raised expectations that the House will turn red by 10 to 40 seats. There has been some reporting of tightening Senate races that could give the Republicans a 1 to 2 seat edge after the elections are over on November 8th. The survey also quizzed likely voters on if they plan to cast ballots early or on Election Day. Most, by a 53 to 44% margin, chose Election Day, though that was mostly a GOP preference, as with past elections. Elsewhere, former FBI official will testify about White House pressure to inflate domestic extremism numbers. Republicans of the, on the House Judiciary Committee announced on Thursday that they would be calling a former top FBI official to testify before Congress to address claims that the Biden administration pressured agents to label cases as domestic extremism or a white supremacist threat, even if they did not meet the criteria in order to match Joe Biden's rhetoric. Last month, current and former FBI agents came forward claiming the Biden administration has been deliberately exaggerating the danger posed by white supremacists. 
According to the whistleblowers, high-ranking FBI officials were pressuring field agents to fabricate domestic terrorism cases and label people as white supremacists in order to meet internal metrics. The demand for white supremacy, coming from FBI brass, vastly outstrips the supply of white supremacy, one agent told the Washington Times. We have had more people assigned to investigate white supremacists than actually find. End quote. On December 2nd, members of the House Judiciary Committee will interview Jill Sanborn, a former assistant director of the FBI Counterterrorism Division and executive assistant director of its national security branch, who has been accused of pressuring agents to reclassify cases per the White House's requests. The FBI claims it only investigates those who, quote, commit or intend to commit violence and criminal activity that constitutes a federal crime or poses a threat to national security, and that it does not target individuals or organizations based on their political beliefs, end quote. Last year, the administration previously came under fire for using the resources of the Department of Justice to target angry parents at a school board meeting and treat them like domestic terrorists. Merrick Garland authorized the FBI to investigate parents who protested school board meetings, alleging a disturbing trend of teachers being threatened or harassed. However, PJ Media's Megan Fox looked into those allegations and concluded that they're mostly bunk. Elsewhere, let's head south as Arizona refuses to comply with Biden demand to remove makeshift border wall. Arizona's Department of Emergency and Military Affairs is refusing a demand by the Biden administration to remove the shipping containers they are using to close gaps in the wall at the southern border. A letter written to the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation and signed by Alan Clark, director of Arizona's DEMA, states the containers will remain in place until specific details regarding construction are provided. Clark goes on to argue that the residents of Arizona cannot rely on the federal government to ensure its security. The myriad of federal agencies that claim jurisdiction on the southern border but do nothing to prevent the public nuisance caused by illegal immigration and criminal activity that exploits the open border is quite frustrating to those that live, work, and recreate on the border and in our state, he added. The letter comes in response to a demand by the Biden administration to remove the shipping containers that are predominantly being used to seal up gaps in the border wall near Yuma. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation penned its own letter last week claiming Arizona's shipping containers are trespassing on its lands and those of the Cocopa Indian Tribes West Reservation. The Bureau indicates contracts have been awarded to those to close the gaps in question, and they anticipate awarding more. As such, they insist that the containers be removed so that the project can continue without unnecessary delay. Arizona Republican Governor Doug Ducey issued an executive order to seal up gaps in the border wall in August, meaning the White House had no less than 18 months to get those contracts awarded and pushed out to start construction. The shipping containers stand 22 feet high, are welded together, and feature an additional 4 feet of razor wiring added to the top. Ducey's reasoning behind installing the containers includes the Biden administration's quote, lack of urgency on border security, which he labeled a dereliction of duty. Hey, speaking of Arizona, we want to talk about one of our sponsors in Arizona, Armored Republic. The mission of Armored Republic is to honor Christ by equipping free men with tools of liberty necessary to preserve God-given rights. In the Armored Republic, there is no king but Christ. They are free craftsmen. Body armor is a tool of liberty. They create tools of liberty. Free men must remain ever vigilant against tyranny wherever it appears. God has given us the tools of liberty needed to defend the rights he bestowed to us. Armored Republic is honored to offer you those tools. Visit them at ar500armor.com. Again, that's ar500armor.com.
Now, it's time for my favorite topic, sports. And I've got two stories for you today. A twofer. First time ever on my Daily News Brief. NASCAR suspends Bubba Wallace after intentionally wrecking Kyle Larson. NASCAR announced they suspended Bubba Wallace one race for his actions in Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where he deliberately retaliated against Kyle Larson on the track. During the South Point 400, Larson had a strong run going into turn three, and he dove to the inside of both Kevin Harvick and Bubba Wallace. Harvick got out of of the gas and let Larson and Wallace race for the position. As they continued into turn four, Larson got loose and began to chase his car up the track, inching ever close to Wallace. However, he never made contact with Wallace. Coming off the turn, Wallace slammed into the outside wall hard, bounced off it, and down into Larson. Larson dove into the inside of the track to avoid Wallace. Wallace, believing Larson had wronged him by chasing his car up the track, chased him down the track and ran into his right rear quarter panel, sending both cars spinning up the track. Larson would make contact with Christopher Bell before making contact with the wall. Wallace would smash nose first into the outside wall. NASCAR.com reports Wallace violated sections 4.3A and 4.4C and E of the NASCAR member code of conduct laid out in the NASCAR rulebook. Rule 4.4C lists intentionally wrecking or spinning another vehicle, whether or not that vehicle is removed from competition as a result as one of five member actions that could result in a penalty. As noted above, NASCAR chose to suspend Wallace one race. NASCAR's chief operating officer, Steve O'Donnell, appeared on Sirius XM NASCAR radio to explain the decision. Our actions are really specific to what took place on the racetrack. Um, and when we look at, you know, how that incident occurred, you know, in our minds, you know, really a, a dangerous act. We, we thought that was intentional and put other competitors at risk. And, you know, as we look at the sport and where we are today and, and where we want to draw that line going forward, we thought that definitely crossed the line. And, and that's what we focused on in terms of making this call. When you say you thought it was intentional, how do you come to that determination? What have you looked at to make that call? Well, you know, we've got a lot of data available to us, and and we looked at that data and kind of reviewed the incident from a bunch of different angles. And, you know, in our view and our determination um, through conversations, that's that's where we netted out. What did the data show that that led you to the conclusion? Uh, You know, we believed that uh, it was the heat of the moment, um, action that took place. And, you know, I think you saw through Bubba's uh, statement, if you had to, to do that all over again, I think maybe it would be a different circumstance. I think we understand that it's a, it's a dangerous sport and drivers are out there. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot on the line. Everybody's racing their guts out, which is awesome for the sport. It's, it's never been better in terms of that. Um, but in this case, you know, we just felt it crossed the line and, and we really had to react because it's an action that, that we don't want to see going forward. And I know, Fans and people like to compare, well, you know, the what ifs or what happened in the past. And and for us, this was a reaction based on, you know, what took place Sunday and what we don't want to see going forward in races uh, that take place from the competitors and, and want to draw that line and be as clear as we can for our competitors of where we stand. And lastly, let's talk about the NHL. NHL embraces anti-white racism, says they have too many white employees, and they aim to change that. The National Hockey League released a workplace, a workforce demographic study as part of a report on accelerating diversity and inclusion that claims the organization's teams are too white, and the league plans to make changes to reduce the percentage of white people that work for them. Introducing the report, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman made it clear 
the organization's goals, saying, quote, Our belief is stronger than ever that hockey has a powerful platform to build character, teach life skills, and support our society and our communities. As part of one of their initiatives to promote diversity and inclusion, the report notes, the NHL developed a new best-in-class workforce demographic study to understand the diversity of full-time league and club employees and accelerate inclusive hiring. This workforce demographic study also highlighted as one of the NHL's seven dimensions specifically under their employment section. This section specifically notes the NHL is in engaging in racist activities. Data from the survey will help guide future decision-making about our workforce. In late 2021, the NHL hired hired a full-time director of recruiting who was focused on attracting diverse talent to the organization. Additionally, the league engaged Jopwell with the intent of creating a more diverse and inclusive workplace by expanding their talent pool through Jopwell's network of black, Latinx, and Native American professionals. That's from the report. The report further notes that they will be excluding white people from a mentorship program. Quote, clubs are also taking action. 22 clubs have launched or are about to launch a mentorship fellowship hiring program to develop BIPOC and female talent to work in the organization's hockey operations or front office roles. End quote. The downfall of the NHL. What a shame. It seemed like one of the last man's man sports, but... Top Brass would like to see an end to that. This has been your Cross-Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, go ahead and hit that share button for me down below. If you want to become a club member or sign up for a future conference or sign up for our magazine subscription, head on over to FightLapBeast.com to sign up today. And as always, if you want to send me a news story, if you want to ask me about our conferences, or if you want to become a corporate partner of CrossPolitik, go ahead and email me at Garrison at FightLaughFeast.com. For CrossPolitik News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and have a blessed and restful week weekend. We'll see you next time.